You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Welcome back to another episode of Hoop and Holler. Today is the day, not in the NBA, but in the NFL, NFL Draft. For those of y'all who don't know, I'm also a pretty big football fan, so today's an important day for me. Also an important day for Eddie, a 49ers fan. No one knows what the hell y'all doing with y'all pick. Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, who the hell knows. But this is a basketball podcast, but I'm also a football fan, so I want to do a little intersectionality here, if y'all don't mind. All right? So... The exercise I want to do for y'all is who in the NBA would be most likely to get drafted on draft night? If all the NBA players were in this in this draft pool, who would be the most likely NBA player to get drafted into the NFL? We're throwing LeBron James out of it because that's fucking uh, uh, low-hanging fruit. So, with the exception of LeBron James, who might make a good NFL player? In what position? Zion at tight end or defensive end? Throw Zion out of there, that's too obvious. (laughs) That's too obvious. All right, I'm going to go Miles Bridges at receiver. Mm. At receiver? Or tight end. Let's go tight end because he's he's strong enough. And he could probably build up more muscle. Okay, all right. Miles Bridges at tight end. Interesting. You always forget that, like, the point guard in basketball is, like, taller than a lot of receivers in the NFL. Literally. Literally. Hmm. That's so... I feel like mm. I mean John ja, ja Morant John ja, ja Morant in the slot. He's too mm, well. He's, He'd be too damn big for the slot because John ja Morant, like right in the scheme of the NBA, John ja Morant's what six two six three, so he's not that big and he's pretty skinny. But like, that's pretty much if he's six two and probably about a buck eighty soaking wet, he's probably about Devonte Smith size. You know, what, I got you know, one. People are talking about Devontae Smith size. What, what you got? I got one. This is uh, this absolutely won't work at all. But uh, Nikola Jokic as the most immobile pocket quarterback in the league, because you know, you know, he has great passing skills and he's got great vision. And uh, right, he he, re- he Eddie he, Eddie he, he does the bro, multiple Eddie, reads why? on the court. You know, like he would on the football field. I I love it that you're trying to be different. And say something that no one else is gonna say. But I also hate it that you're trying to be different and say I, something I, that. I really yeah. don't have anything no one else to say. Contrarian, bro. Like, if you were going to say a quarterback, bro, I might have went LaMelo Ball just because we know, like, way back even when he was, like, 14 years old, he was chucking that jump pretty accurately down court to Lonzo. I'd have to imagine he has some arm talent with a football, too. But Actually, you know what? If you I want might... conventional, I got one. Uh, okay. This dude will be in the 2021 NBA draft, so I'll just say Jalen Suggs. Cause don't know. Literally... That's, no, 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 no. That don't count. That don't count. <laughs> Man, he could have been cold. To, or he probably still is cold, honestly. Man, I, I I threw this exercise at y'all without having a person in mind. I'm trying to rack my brain about it because you know there's certain dudes, and I always say this about football, is that there's no other sport 
professionally or even non-professionally that you could take the athletes from that sport and make a team in a different sport like universally there's not a sport that you can name that i couldn't take football players and make a decent team out of it i, I dare y'all but like no other sports like that you can't make a good football team out of a basketball team or a soccer team but there's so much athletic versatility maybe like De'Aaron fox that's kind of low-hanging fruit too but i have to imagine he would be able to do something at receiver i like miles bridges honestly why, why, um, why don't why don't you put De'Aaron fox as a lamar, lamar jackson type I don't know if he's throwing that thing. Like, basketball players, trust me, from experience, basketball players can't throw a football worth a damn. They can't. (laughs) Generally speaking, unless they played a lot of football growing up, they don't know how to throw a football, let alone (laughs) play quarterback. There's just too much going on. Oh, I got one. Tyrese Halliburton has free safety. Can he move? He's got great. Because that's another thing. Football players be a lot faster than basketball players, I feel like. He does some things on the basketball court that is, you know, very – very safety-ish. Intuitive. Okay. okay. Or, or, I'm um, not mad at that yeah, one. See. I was a- gonna Aaron keep... Gordon wouldn't Aaron Gordon wouldn't be a bad tight end. He too damn big, bro. Like 6'8". Like, He's strong, he had to be, though. He would be Jimmy Graham. He would literally be Jimmy Graham. But like the sucky version of Jimmy Graham. <laughs> oh, I was about <laughs> to say, the, uh, Jimmy Graham was a monster. In, nah, yeah. I don't, I don't in, think. Uh, Have you ever seen that video where it's like... um, There's two videos I'm about to name. Because one of them was like Jimmy Butler... And he was trying to um, route somebody up. I forget who was the football player he was going against, but he basically got clamped. But he was talking his shit like, oh, I'll route you up, da-da-da-da. He got clamped. And then there's another one where it was Kevin Durant trying to pass rush on an offensive lineman. Got absolutely obliterated. Like, it's oh. it's just hard. It's just hard, man. Not that, KD. That game is difficult. But All right, I got one last one. With that I got one last one. Oh, okay. One more. Uh, Mikhail Bridges and his long arms, even though he's oversized, could maybe play corner. Just the way he sticks perimeter. How tall? How tall is he? He's like six, six. Corner corners have to be like insanely quick though, like yeah, feet wise. He's not really yeah, you quick gotta twitch, be. but he's got great ball skills. Uh, now that you bring up corner though, I feel like there's probably some guards that would make decent corners. Like if you tra- if you cross train Jaw, you could pr- make a decent corner out of Jaw. I feel. Like. I, I feel like guys who are twitchy like. A Norman Powell type dude could could play receiver too. Hmm. Interesting. You just gotta teach them how to use their hands a little bit. But I digress. That's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. We perhaps that's a, a segment down the line drafting dudes. But neither here nor there. Let's get into some actual basketball talk, man. So we're just gonna kind of go around the league today and and talk about some of the hottest teams. And then close the episode talking about a particular series uh, of interest to Eddie and Julio. They're going to, I guess, sell me. I have, I didn't get a chance to catch that game. Um, I'm not going to spoil it now, but I guess you guys can sell me on why that's going to be a very entertaining series out in the West. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and talk about some hot teams. I know I have a team that I want to bring up, but I want to say that for later because I'm going to be talking my shit. And if you listen to the podcast, you probably know what team I'm going to be talking about. But I'm going to go ahead and start over with you, Eddie. Talk to me about the Atlanta Hawks and what you're seeing there. So Atlanta, after since they fired Lloyd Pierce, which I thought was a questionable decision at the time, clearly was the right decision. Nate McMillan has. Um, l- l- let me just cut you off for a second. Damn. I'm so <laughs> glad that I'm so glad that you said that because if you didn't say that, I was about to call you out. You you and Reagan too. Me? I don't even. Okay. I mean, I'll just I continue you were with against my point. it too. What what I do? I thought you were against the decision to fire that coach. 
Hey man, anytime I was, it was very two pronged because I don't like when any black head coach gets fired. But they also hired a black head coach, so that was pretty. I, it, it, was, okay. it was, it was, it was just a net oh, zero. Okay, for me. okay. But anyways, Atlanta's been doing very well under Nate McMillan. They were the four seed a little bit ago. Now they're the five. Um, and I was just thinking about it. You know, Atlanta's personnel. Well, first of all, I want to talk about Nate McMillan because I don't know why Indiana got rid of him. You know, Indiana sucks mm-hmm. this year. Um, people don't like that Nate McMillan didn't play like this modernized offense or something. You know, like, of, of course, I love my three-pointers and layups and, you know, that type of offense. But the thing that Nate McMillan is really good at, at least on the offensive end, is giving the ball in the players' hands and saying, you know, you do you. You do what's best for you. And all of a sudden in Atlanta, you've seen, you know, Trey, Bogdan, Gallinari, Kevin Herter, you know, John Collins, all these guys thrive and look really comfortable. And that's a big reason for their success. But I was just looking at the roster, and I was thinking about how many offensive weapons they have. And when I think about it, like, just in the East, can you say that behind Brooklyn, they have the most offensive weaponry? Because I think it's possible. And to me, like, that's really uh, dangerous. Like, uh, I don't know what they're winning. Like, versatility? Uh, Are we talking about, like, talent? Are like, we talking talent about- plus depth. Like talent plus the talent, amount of talent plus the amount of dudes who can just get their own bucket. I, because, I would probably say I mean, I, let me just name it off because you have uh-huh. Trey, Lou, Will, and Bogdan who are capable of mm-hmm. you know you can put the rock in their hands and they can get a bucket. They can distribute for other people. They can handle an offense. You know you got great shooters in Kevin Herter. DeAndre Hunter Hunter's been hurt, but he's been really good when he was healthy this year. Um, John Collins, we know you know the type of freaky athlete and scorer that he is. Capella's one of the you know best non-skilled quote-unquote bigs in the league right um and Gallinari's a bucket so I mean like that that's just so many options and you think about right like what they can throw out on the floor I mean that's a big part of their success you didn't even go well Cam Reddish is hurt isn't he yeah and he's been bad anyways (laughs) at least offensively yeah Reagan he's been horrible give it time give it time let it marinate yeah but I I, I mean I can't say that did I have them being the fissy? No, but should Who they did? be here? Who did though? But should they be here? They should definitely be there. Oh, what? They should Don't definitely be there. Like, like, uh, just like the Milwaukee Bucks. It's the same thing. They should have won, but I didn't have them winning. The Atlanta Hawks. I did not have them there, but they have more than enough talent to be there. So what just, does that even mean? I mean what does that mean? Even, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying that it's not impressive, but. That's what you should be doing. That's what so young when, when, I, be when, doing. I, when it was preseason, I was telling you, "Yo, watch out for Atlanta. They got players." And honestly, like they do, they do, but it never turns into anything. But you was shooting me down. You was like Reagan. They got young pieces. Da 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 da. They ain't never going like. <laughs> That's why you got to let these wait, things wait, grow wait, a little bit. Wait, wait, wait. I, I I thought this was the Eastern Conference, and like a few weeks ago, I swear they were like the third to last seed or something. All right. It did kind of sneak up right? on me a little bit when I was looking at the standards, the, the the standings the other day, and it was like, oh, yo, when did Atlanta get that high? But, you know, like, th- this is a good team, and they've been playing really good ball, like Eddie mentioned, ever since Nate McMillan got into town. Um, I remember you saying a while back, Eddie, like, that Trey Young is, like, one of the most unnecessarily hated players in the NBA, and Facts. I didn't, like, agree with you at the time. I didn't think that there was that much hate for him, but, like, People don't talk about him like they need to, honestly. Like, I, I don't know if it's hate, but there's definitely, like, a level of indifference that I don't understand for Trey Young's game. Um, and then there's, like, that 
small but loud faction that's like, oh, that's all he does is chuck up shots. He doesn't do nothing for nobody else. But that those people, they don't know basketball. But I don't understand why people don't talk about Trey Young more. Well, you know what it now is. That, that, that they're playing well. It's that, is one, it? people don't like that he you know takes like 15 free throws a game, which, again, to me, it's a skill. To some people, they think it's bad for the game, aesthetically unpleasing, whatever. That's fine. That's valid. The second part is people care too much about defense. Like, yeah, Trey Young might be like the bottom 10 defender in the league or whatever, just given his size and athletic limitations. But, you know, when you had the personnel out there, when you had Capella and DeAndre Hunter out there, um, they were a middle-of-the-pack defense. So I don't want this narrative that if you have Trey Young on your team, you have a bad defense. It doesn't work like that, right? Defense in the NBA is a team game more than it is an individual game. And people make too much Agreed. big of a deal about, you know, how he can't defend or he can't do this or that. Talk about the things he can do, and he does a lot of things better than, you know, 99% of the league. All right, because you said something that I was about to, like, have to fight you on it because you said people care too much about defense. At first, I was like, whoa, what are we doing? But when you say people care too much about Trey Young's inability to play defense, I can get behind that because there's still four other dudes on the court that you got to account for, and there's ways to, to move around there. But um, what do you guys think is, like, the ceiling for this team? Could they make it out of the first round? Could they potentially make some noise in the second round? The way they're playing right now, what do you think? Um, how do you think they project down the line? Yeah, everything to me comes down to matchups. If they get the right matchup, um, then they can for sure make to the second round. Uh, after that, I wouldn't be too certain. No, I don't think they can make it past the second round. Um, right now, they would be slated to play New York, which we all know New York's hot right now. But I would still, I would almost bet on Atlanta winning that series. I don't know why. So, something... You know, it goes to part of it is what Eddie mentioned, just the talent overall. And obviously, New York has surprised us this year, but it, it would just be overwhelming for me for to not pick Atlanta in that in that matchup. Hmm. Yeah, I think say you, Eddie. if they play New York, well, first of all, New York Atlanta as the four five seed is really interesting because they probably both want each other to stay there and not for Boston to come up or Miami, because they're obviously the more more potent team that has been, like, underperforming mm-hmm. this year, right? Um, but, yeah, I would say if Atlanta f- faces New York, um, I think shot-making matters in the playoffs a lot, right? And New York, mm-hmm. as much as Julius Randle's getting this love, I don't trust that, you know, he's really a bucket-getter. I don't trust R.J. Barrett to do that either. Still, we don't, tr- we don't, we, we don't trust Julius yet? He, I mean, he gets regular season buckets. I don't—he's not efficient. He doesn't really have offensive skill— requisite to make up for it if you game plan him i think you can shut him down that's not to take anything away that you know he's been really yes. good this year and i and i love how new york has you know come back into the scene it's good for basketball it's good to see people you know in the manhattan streets wilding and going crazy right but um i think yeah atlanta can definitely make the second round especially if this is the matchup and even then i don't think a team whether um it'll probably be the one seed that faces them so i assume it's either philly or brooklyn they're obviously going to win but, you know, they're going to have to kind of be aware of this Atlanta team because if you slack off a little bit, you know, the amount of offensive weaponry can definitely uh, overwhelm them if they're not careful. Hmm. To me, I want to go back to Julie. I mean, we're going to talk about the Knicks a little bit later, so I guess I don't have to rehash it now. But that's – I would definitely say that's a series that's going seven. Um, but I'm not so sure I'd be so quick to bet on Atlanta like you guys are. I think that's um, that's pretty close. That's pretty close. Just in, like, yeah, Atlanta probably has more talent, but who plays better team basketball on both ends of the floor? I would probably 
give that to the Knicks, especially defensively. Um, they could make it pretty tough on the, the Atlanta Hawks for a little bit. So I wouldn't be so quick to count them out, but let's go ahead and talk about the Knicks a little bit unless you guys had more thoughts to add on the Hawks. Mm-mm. All right, let's talk about the Knicks, man. So I want to start here because you brought up Julius Randle. What I've been noticing from Julius Randle this year, someone correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I am, though I never think that I am. He's like a tough shot like taker and a tough shot maker this year. So you are almost like with guys like that. And obviously like I'm not comparing apples to apples here, but like tough shot takers and tough shot makers. We think about Kyrie Irving. We think about Jason Tatum, but guys like that, you're pretty much at their mercy of whether or not you make the shot. So yeah, you can game plan around things like that. But ultimately if Julius Randle is on, which, you know, admittedly he's been on pretty much almost this whole year, then there's really not much you can do about it because the shots that he's taking are ones that you would ideally want him to take. He's just been really good at hitting him this year. So I don't know if Julius Randle would be that easy to game plan for. It's not the same. It's really not the same. His skill level is nowhere near uh, Kyrie and Jason Tate. Like, it's not even I'm, close. I'm not, he's no, so, dude, you know I'm not doing that. You, yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm not going. I, I know, but, like, he, he's just so, like, he's very one-dimensional um, in – just from the perspective of, like, he just loves to go left. Like, that's his freaking go-to. And he just trucks people over, which, in the, again, in the regular season is fine. But, again, I, I, I it's like I repeat myself every year. Y'all think things he's getting Gian- slow. I see what's happening here. You things slow down. Y'all are saying he's going to get Giannis. They're going to do a wall? I mean... Kind of, he he. I feel like he has more ball handling ability than Giannis, but he he's not. He's he not has more shot making ability he, too. But it, it's just, it's very predictable. You know that when he goes right, he he loves to bump you or take a little step back and, and hit a little mid range. When he goes left, he's literally gonna hit you with his right shoulder and finish left. And the thing is, he doesn't have long arms. He doesn't have big hands. If you just throw out like help defenders and just shade uh, uh, sides to Julius. It's not. It's not gonna work out. It's not gonna work out. Now I will say, like, if if you do do that to like put more attention, like, not to say that you build a wall like you do against Giannis, it probably wouldn't take all that. But if you do have a defender shading to help, um, so to try to force him to do more to his offhand side, I'm not sure how much I'm willing to depend on Emmanuel quickly and Derrick Rose and R.J. Barrett to to make up the slack. Should R- or should Julius Randle not have good games, um, but. I don't know. Like, you talk about, like, a shoulder bump and a step back. Yeah, you can game plan for that. But, like, that's the shot that if I'm a coach, right, I want Julius Randle taking that shot. But he's been hitting that all year long. So who's to say that he's not hitting it come playoff time? So I don't know. What do you think, Eddie? Yeah, the thing with the Knicks is that their offense all year has really been hope you can get in transition to get easy buckets. But when it's in half court, it's literally just, you know, Julius take the ball and do something. And... Um, I mean, the regular season, that's already amounted them to, like, the 20th best offense. So, like, below average, right? So where they really win is just by playing tougher on defense. Um, Yeah, playing tougher on defense. But the thing is, they play, like, playoff basketball in the regular season when you can have that sort of advantage. But I think in the playoffs, when people are really keyed in, you know, on both ends, when they can really be focused on the matchups, um, when they're actually playing for something, uh, you you don't quite have that advantage on defense anymore. You can't just play tougher and expect it to, you know, carry you through. So that's the only thing. Um, but for Julius Randle, yeah, like I agree with everything Julio said. Like his moves are pretty predictable. It's kind of like Pascal, where that, you know, Pascal, I think is like 
pretty skilled for his size. I would say very skilled for his size. But, you know, sometimes you see that basketball, um, for Pascal's basketball inexperience show it because you, his moves were predictable. You kind of knew what he would kind of calculate on the court. And for Julius, I kind of, you know, see the same thing. There's not as much improvisational skill there, right? Like there's the shot and, making and quality he, and is he, just not he, quite as good. Yeah. And he makes up uh, for, you know, a, a lot of it by just playing super hard, like playing harder than, than the player he's playing against or playing harder than the person who's guarding him. But at a cer- that only takes you so far, which just kind of, you know, to me represents this team as a whole, you know, not specifically the Knicks, but a Julius Randle led team like this is kind of their ceiling, a five. C- and you're not you're not going to get close to a championship. So I just I wouldn't trust them in the playoffs. Now I will say I also like I know I kind of went against you guys' argument, but I do have a certain distrust for the Knicks, but not for the same reasons that y'all do. Although perhaps they're kind of tied to some extent, and that's come playoff time, you pretty much need like obviously you know Julio's going to talk about wings, and wings are going to be important to have that scoring ability. But you got to have some pretty good guard play too. And I'm not sure I trust the guard play of the New York Knicks yet. Emmanuel Quickly has been good. Emmanuel Quickly has been a lot better than a lot of people expected. Derrick Rose has shown some stuff at times. But if those are the guys running the show come playoff time, I'm not exactly sure how confident I am as a Knicks fan in the in my guard play, especially if I'm going up against a guy like Trey Young, who's going to play, for all intents and purposes, really fucking good, right? So, yeah, I, that would be my biggest um, Achilles heel for the Knicks is I don't know if that guard play is going to be there as opposed to saying it's going to, you know, be Julius Randle. Yeah. Perhaps it's, it's just a matter of saying that you're going to be putting too much on per- Julius Randle in, instead of other players. Yeah, per- yeah. perhaps uh, to me the only way they get by Atlanta is by literally punking them because they're older than Atlanta. Atlanta's, you know, full of a bunch of young guys. And the Knicks are too to some extent, but they have some veterans, Julius, D. Rose. Um, so uh, Nerlens Noel too, right? Yeah. He's not great, but whatever. A, a few veterans to, I feel like, push around and kind of punk Atlanta to a certain extent. So that may work in the playoffs just because, you know, depending on the game, depending on the series, the refs might call, you know, stuff. Uh, differently, so that that's the only way that I can envision them winning in Atlanta. You know, coming into one of their first uh, playoff series, just being kind of nervous, maybe. But um, other than that, I just I can't see them winning. You know. All right, so that's the Eastern Conference. Why don't we to- take it out west a little bit, and I'll bring up a team. And if y'all have any other Western Conference teams that you want to bring up that that are interesting to you, we can bring it up. But y'all already know what's going on here. Let's talk some Memphis Grizzlies basketball, man, because they've been cooking, bro. And you see, like... My favorite player. My favorite player. Your favorite player. That's just Cap. What? You said your favorite player? (laughs) Yeah. That's just Cap. Your favorite player is Kyrie Irving. Everyone, anyone who knows you for like two minutes, you can't go five minutes without saying the word Kyrie Irving. (laughs) My favorite player, Ja Morant, and... Part of the larger point that I'm trying to make is, like, the Grizzlies can be on and off, and they kind of ebb and flow when John Morant isn't assertive offensively. But when he is assertive offensively, that's when they're at their best. And I, I hope that, that he's starting to pick up on that, and it seems like he is because night in and night out, he's being he's making a point to go out there and not just try to distribute 
um, but to really score. And it's almost like the um, Nikola Jokic conundrum that we talked about last episode. And it used to be like, you know, you'd have these really blow-up games from Nikola Jokic, and then you'd have these, oh, he dropped 10, but he also dropped 12 assists. And I kind of see the same things from Josh sometimes, at least earlier on in the season and last year as well. But this season, like, when he's going on these runs and he's dropping, like, these 25, 30-point games, maybe there's some six-assist games, maybe there's some 12-assist games. But when he's scoring you points... That's when that team is rolling because everyone else kind of falls in line and does what they need to do. I want to shout out a lot of players that are playing pretty well. Dylan Brooks, thank you for not being dumb. Uh, <laughs> Justice Winslow, uh, pleasant surprise. I still think that there's more to be unlocked there, but particularly on the defensive end of the side, on the defensive side of the ball, Julius has been playing very well. J- uh, excuse me, JJJ, good to have you back, dog. Obviously, foul trouble. He hasn't been able to be his full self yet. Um, whether that's because he's getting into foul trouble or whether that's because he's not healthy enough to go the normal amount of minutes he would run. But it's good to see the dude back on the court shooting the way we know he can. Jonas Valanciunas, next to John Morant, arguably the most important player on this Grizzlies team. He's so stat- steadfast. He holds down the paint. He's really sneaky athletic. Like He's a better rim protector than you might think if you watch the games. Um, Grayson Allen, I had my beef with you when you were in college. You still probably ain't going to last too, too long. Like, you're probably going to get traded at some point. But, like, cool to have you. Xavier Tillman, you're a, you're a player. NBA Draft Twitter, shout out, you know, all those PD and Robel, all those dudes like Henry Ward. Xavier Tillman can play. Everything that you need in an NBA center. Shout out Eddie as well. Eddie saw that. But, no, Xavier Tillman can play basketball. He understands the game at a high level. He's coming in as a rookie, already playing like a dude four or five years his senior. Um who else I want to shout out? That's like seven players. Desmond Bain. Uh, oh, can't miss. Oh, oh, no. Desmond Bain. Thank you. Oh, How no. could I forget about Desmond Bain, the buff shooter, right? That dude oh, coming no. out this year already playing basketball well. And obviously, like, something needs to, we need to have an episode down the line about the way that the Grizzlies have been drafting lately because it's kind of very oh, been man. in line of, like, what? What? What, what Julio? What? Oh, man. What? Oh, man. What? You're, what? What? You're, what? I, I can feel, I can sense it. I, I can smell it through the computer. Uh, I, I can just, I can. <laughs> oh man, you're getting to that point again to where you're going to be like, shoot, I'll trade you a second rounder in Grayson Allen for Bradley no, I can't no. let go of anyone else. You're getting no. back to that point again. You have to uh, be able to, you know, release no, these I, dudes. I, I, um,. I, I don't I'm not, I'm not like overly attached to anyone on that roster right now other than Ja and not even Jaron Jackson Jr. as much potential as I think that he has and maybe Desmond Bain too I, I'd like to see Desmond DeAnthony Melton that's another one DeAnthony Melton has been playing exceptionally well um but like yeah there's part of me that definitely understands that you know if you want to go compete for a chip you're probably gonna have to package some a lot of these dudes to go get another star down the line but that's not what this is about right now you're thinking. You're thinking years down the line, man. I'm trying but to that, enjoy. But that is the benefit. The, that that is the benefit of drafting amen. a bunch of useful role players, though. Hey, man. We don't just look at these guys as useful role players that we're eventually gonna package up and trade. These are family, bro. This is Grizz next gen. This is like you know. I drive through my city and I see these dudes billboard and they get the nod of approval from me, man. These dudes have been balling. They have been engaging with this city extremely well. Um, John Morant, he was even on Twitter like, yo, we need you guys coming to the game, swag surfing and all that. People are allowed back in the FedEx forum. Like, it's just fun. It is fun to be around. And that after an era of, like, basketball where it was, like, for that brief moment when Mike Conley was out and Marcus Gasol was out and we were sitting up here rolling out, like, playoff rosters with Matt Barnes starting and, like, 
shout out Matt Barnes, but like if Matt Barnes and Chris Anderson are in your starting lineup, you're in hell. Um, but like, yeah, it's fun now. Like you look at these dudes and they've like branded the team so well, like the whole the whole Grizz Next Gen thing. Um, like I said, they engage with the city. Like it's just fun and exciting to be part of Memphis basketball right now. And you know, perhaps what happens down the line happens down the line. I appreciate the the yawn, Julio. I feel very heard right now. Um, but no, it's just like as a as a pseudo Grizzlies fan, I just had to say I'm very much enjoying the present moment, watching these dudes grow and bond and play the basketball together. Man. Yeah. All jokes aside, though, you know, general managers and owners and yeah, just people in the front office who make decisions. Again, it goes back to my whole. Uh, attachment thing and don't fool yourself in the head because the Grizzlies were way out of the playoffs and I know Jaw was hurt for a minute but it, just like you said Reagan things ebb and flow and it's almost like a roller coaster with that team one minute you can see them you know maybe giving a, a, a an upper seed team in the playoffs you know six games another another you know period in the season you can see them being freaking i don't know 12th in the west and it's like you can't look at oh shoot you know we're seventh we're eighth in the west and that's where we're at no you can easily be 12th by you know next season so my point is is that you can't fall in love with these dudes and you know just expect oh we're gonna we ended at the eighth seed here we're gonna go seventh seed next year we're gonna go six seed the following year that's not how that works i agree i I agree to uh, on the point that it's not going to be necessarily linear progression but i will say that what the grizzlies are and where they fall in the standings tends to be up to the grizzlies they're not at the mercy of these other teams in the western conference this is a six to eight seed team consistently year in and year out if they play to their potential which like i said kind of hinges on how john moran approaches the game another thing that i didn't know is that his shot has come around substantially as of late like the last month i think he was shooting like what 50 percent um the fact that he's hitting that three and i said it before on this podcast he gets that thing going and you're pretty much done because everybody goes under screens that's the only way that you can really defend josh so if he's and i also notice his like legs kind of narrow when he shoots his threes perhaps that's something to look at if you're going to a shooting coach maybe he goes to lethal shooter i don't know but whatever the case may be like if he gets that thing going and he's never stopped pulling it at any point he's never shortened in confidence for it which i appreciate but like that things drops and you're really like in hell like as a defense what can you honestly do when john morant can do that but, um, yeah, the the thing about Jaw and I, I love Jaw and how he plays the the aggressive mentality that he has, uh, the leadership quality that he has at such a young age. I can really mm-hmm. really appreciate all that. Um, the thing about him is that uh, I don't want to say he's fragile, but it, it's almost like yes, they're at their best when he's very aggressive offensively, but. As a front office member, as a coach, as as the owner, um, you don't want you know an all out one hundred and ten percent jaw you know throughout the whole season, right? Why not? Because to me, you might run into trouble. That's why that that leads that leads you as a front office person that he needs some help on the perimeter. He needs some like strong scoring help on the perimeter. It can't be him all season long. Or not not to say that he's going to get hurt, but. I mean, you, you can't just put the full offensive load no, on Oh, yeah, him. agreed. You, you like to be able to – and the good thing about the Grizzlies is, like, it, it's almost like a um, 
by committee situation where you don't know who it's going to be on a night in or night out basis, who the second guy is going to be. Sometimes it'll be Dylan Brooks. Sometimes it'll be Jonas Valanciunas. Hell, sometimes it'll be Grayson Allen, right? But like somebody's going to show up to play and they usually be able to feed the, the guy when that happens. But yeah, with some cons- consistently at, at consistency, excuse me, at that secondary scoring position be nice. Sure. But you know, this is a young and growing team. and Maybe that's a bit too much to ask for at this present moment. Can I ask you a question? Of course. Has uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. lost value mm. since last season slash a year and a half ago when, where people were really on him? I would say Where probably, I thought yeah. that they should have traded him. I think he's lost a yeah, lot. He, he's probably lost a bit of value, but I don't think that's value that can't be recuperated once he gets his legs back under him. Um He's a defensive force, and obviously he's one of the best shooting big men in the league, whether or not you want to consider him a four or a five. He can shoot that thing and stretch the floor, which is going to be of high value to a lot of teams. Um, but he was like touted as like one of the best defensive prospects like a year and a half ago. Compounded that with the shooting, like, yeah, he's probably lost a little bit of value. But, yeah, I, I think that gets recuperated with time. They get him on a playoff stage. He goes off, hits seven threes in a game. Why not? Why not? I'm not. You tripping on the future, man. Just enjoy the present moment for what it is. They're playing good basketball in Memphis again. Can we not enjoy, enjoy that while it happens and let you know the road pave itself down the line? I do. Have Kobe to give, taught me not to care about these rookies. I I have to give props to Memphis because it feels like you know because last year they overperformed. I think what they had on their roster, and then this year I thought you know what they had was like maybe scratching playing, but again like. So they're they're really an overachieving team, and I mean that in in all the you know complimentary ways possible because it means that they're playing hard, they're well coached, um, you know all of the right foundational, cultural whatever you want to call it chemistry stuff is in place. Um, I also you mentioned D'Anthony Melton. I do want to shout him out. Um, I'm not really a gambling person because I don't like actually put money on things. I just pretend I do. But um, he would be an interesting sixth man of the year candidate next season for me. Um, I also want to shout out Kyle Anderson. You didn't bring him up, but he's been really solid all year. Kind of the player that people imagined him to be coming out of UCLA. I know people talk about how slow he plays, but he's really, he's really unique and funky and clever and you know smart and all of those things. Um, I really like watching him play. Um, the thing about Ja, I'm really glad that his shot has come around lately. Um, but something that I think is really um, there's like an irony in his game because he's super fearless. Um, he's also super aggressive, like you said, Julio. But it's weird that sometimes he doesn't hunt shots. You know, sometimes he doesn't hunt scoring. And um, you, I mean, you, you can tell that he's his, like a. But the thing is, a passer his, kind of at heart. You see it in his scoring averages, right? It's like at some point, like you got to average twenty, right? And it's like maybe the first two years is not that, but next year, like you got to get twenty plus because he's too good right he's too skilled and like he has the inner dog in him right like he will dunk over anybody and everybody or at least try to um to not hunt shots you know so it's it's a really weird like dichotomy with this game where you know that he has it in him but sometimes he like floats through games because he's more willing to try to pass or create passing opportunity than try to use his scoring chops to you know draw defenses get more you know gravity on him get more defensive attention and then create that way. So, and like to bring it back to the whole Trey Young point, that's something I really like about Trey is that he's going to score 30 even though he's like 
barely six foot and like 150 pounds you know like he will always hunt shots and create his opportunities that way and that and that as a point guard is the way you're supposed to play so i think for ja like he's really gotta be aggressive with scoring first you know and then start distributing passing you know creating for his teammates off of that you see i i would i would agree with you if you want to optimize to the fullest extent this team but something that isn't being optimized is his passing chops. Why? Because it can't be optimized with, with the team around him. It's not full of offensive weapons, right? So I, I think the next step, yes, is him maybe being a little bit more aggressive on the offensive end, hunting his own shots, getting that scoring average up, because that is going to be useful to his team. But the next thing is that isn't being realized and actualized or idealized with him is his passing ability. His passing ability is insane. And... It just, it can't be, not that it can't be shown, it just can't be shown to the extent of which, you know, I would like to see it, because he just doesn't have offensive weapons next to him, right? Like like a, like a real, uh, he you know, he has good big man with him on that team, he just doesn't have a great one, or he doesn't have a great wing to play next to him. So that's what I feel like the, the, the Grizzlies need to hang on to. They need to unlock that part, because if you unlock that part, the scoring is going to come. The scoring is going to come. So I, I will say that, uh, you know, what you brought up, Eddie, is kind of like the Tyrese Halliburton thing when he was at Iowa State, right, where it was like his coach literally had to pry it out of him, like, dude, we're not going to win games unless you, like, score, which it feels like to some extent or another, like, Ja has come to the understanding of that as of late because that's what he's doing. Um, but I also agree with you, Julio, in that the best version of Ja is still the pass-first version, and, and the points will come um, as a product of, you know, just – his nature i think a lot of his points come through uh, fast breaks um but you can't really unlock that part of your game with this current roster because with this current roster he's the best scorer on there so you need him to be the best scorer but i guess i'll humor y'all in the future shit right now like you know you got dylan brooks you got kyle anderson you got valentine like you have i would say that no one on this roster is safe with the exception of ja and you have a lot of good young pieces who potentially maybe i don't know I don't want to see nobody get traded anytime soon, but who could be a name? Just just throw a name out there of a, of a potential target for Memphis. And you got to keep in mind too, it has to be somebody that would sign an extension to stay in Memphis. So who could that be? Hmm. Carl Anthony Towns. Or is he too big time? That would be nice. That would be that would be nice. I don't know how he would feel about Memphis, but that would be that would be real nice. Um, shoot, I don't really have one in mind. Uh, that's tough. What it, it what did it make become tough when I said would have to want to stay in Memphis? Is that what made it tough? Well, it's because no, it, it it got tough when the when Zach Levine started being loyal to the Bulls and Bradley Beal just never hopped off his little mm-hmm. I love Russell Westbrook campaign. Um, and Paul Paul George would have been that dude if he hadn't gone to LA and signed that extension. Uh, maybe someone suited for Memphis is someone who's already in a small market like Chris Middleton, who wants to be a bigger player. Maybe. Um, he's but he's not a superstar. And he's just know. old. Here's the name that I I be having in mind a lot, and it feels a little far fetched until you kind of wrap your head around. 
the Boston Celtics and how stagnant they are, right? And the fact that you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown pretty much doing the same things and kind of taking away from each other, if it gets to a point where Boston's like, we can't keep doing this, we need to start recuperating value somewhere else, Jalen Brown could be had. They're not giving you Jalen Brown for – what would you guys give him? Whatever it takes, honestly. Like, like if it took Jaron Jackson Jr. and – uh, DeAnthony nope. Melton, like if, nope. if it took a, what? That's not who, enough. That's not enough. Who got a better package than the Memphis Grizzlies for um Jalen Brown? Brown? A lot yes. of people would give up more than that for Jalen Brown. What? Shoot, I don't know. Give me a list of teams. I'll, I'll come over trade. Nah, you the one who was so sure that the, everybody got somebody. Shoot, like, you, you don't you don't you don't think Miami would trade? Uh, I don't know, Goran Dragic plus other pieces. You would take Goran Dragic over Jaron Jackson Jr. and DeAnthony Melton in more things. Like it's not like that. It would stop there. We could throw you Justice Winslow. We like there's a lot of quality young players on the Grizzlies that are on really cheap contracts. Yo, Xavier Tillman. Ten ten dimes does not equal a dollar. Like that. that It literally does. It (laughs) It, literally does. (laughs) It quite literally equals a dollar. Does Brandon Ingram, Ivica Zubats, Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Julius Randle? I could have gave my whole Laker roster up. It wouldn't equal. Anthony yeah, because that wasn't ten dimes for a dollar. That was ten dimes for like a hundred dollars. Well, no, I I gave we gave up like three All Stars. I only it there was one All Star in there. It doesn't equal Anthony Brandon Davis. Ingram. Oh, Brandon. Okay, Brandon Ingram and Julius Randle. That's two. But um, we didn't give up Julius Randle for uh, Anthony Davis. He oh, he away. left in free agency. He walked, we, we 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 left Julius Randle walk so we could pay Rajon Rondo nine million. <laughs> Which it worked out. Which we got our chip, so it's all good. Yeah, um, it turned out fine. I it's funny because I was thinking Jalen Brown because at some point I feel like Boston has to do something and something big. Right. But I was also thinking because um, we don't know whether this guy could be a star. I think he has the potential. Um, Jonathan Isaac has been injured a lot. But you know, Orlando, they might want to build around him. Maybe they think that they that's could risky. get more value from. But that's the thing, though. Like, um, you you might not get like a bona fide number two or a one B or something. But Jonathan Isaac is that sort of piece. That's like a. It's not a home run swing, but it's like a triple. You know, so that would be kind of interesting. <laughs> I, I have a name. One. I have a name. I don't even want to hear it the way you brought it up, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you might as well keep it to yourself. <laughs> I have a name. <laughs> Andrew Kobe Wiggins. White. Andrew Wiggins. Dude, whatever, bro. <laughs> Appar- apparently, 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 he should be getting traded for, like, cookies because he's just been that trash this year, according he to... He has. He's been some, fine. He hasn't been that part. bad, bro. He hasn't, like, he, he hasn't been the... Number one overall. I'll let point, you say it, Eddie, since you, you he's at He's at the point where he's one year less on that terrible contract. And, you know, he's finally playing a role that's somewhat better suited for him. That you don't have to attach, like, two first-rounders to trade for him anymore. Like, you're not getting anything good back. But, like, a lot of teams, um, you know, if you don't have any salary cap room or financial flexibility. And if he's your fourth option, that's a pretty good fourth option. But, anyways. Would, you throw, the fa- would you throw the farm uh for Brandon Ingram, I would throw the absolute Ooh, farm for Brandon. Ingram. That's a that's interesting because see, New Orleans see, might. He, but he okay okay here here's my beef with 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 everything you're saying though. 
When I was mentioning Bradley Beal, you were saying no. Bradley Beal's I've better grown. than all these I've dudes. grown, Julio. I was, I was, I was oh, naive okay. in my line okay. of thinking, right, to think okay. that, you know, maybe some of these players, I mean, hell, I was talking about Brandon Clark, and, you know, I didn't bring up Brandon Clark <sighs> in the list of names that I wanted to shout out for Memphis for, like, but he's a little, he's regressed a little bit, but... Yeah, I, I, I'm willing to admit that I perhaps was a little bit naive to think that, you know, some of these guys had more value. But that's just because they're near and dear to my heart as a Memphis Grizzlies fan. But I'm, I'm glad you've, you've seen there. the light. I'm glad yeah. you've seen the light. I've I, What I've seen is how good John Morant can be, and I don't want that man going nowhere. And that's the last thing I low-key wanted to say, and we don't have to go down a whole line of, for this tangent, but I wonder if John Morant would want to see anyone get traded. I don't like he's definitely not at a point right now where competing for championships matters more to him than his teammates. And I don't know if he ever gets to that point because we've seen John Morant. He's a very loyal person. He he doesn't mind scrapping as the underdog. He probably embraces that. Yes. Than being the top. It'll guy. it'll hit him at some point. Yeah. Yeah. It'll hit him. And winning, even if you get mad that one of your friends get traded, winning makes up for it. He'll be in kind of like a Devin Booker situation where, hey, I'm going to ask out. I'm going to demand for a trade if you don't bring me, you know, like a Chris Paul, like another dude to help me out. So, yeah, it, it better not get to that point. It It's just I, I think I wouldn't even equate it to Devin Booker. Like, it, it's, it's, real, it's real genuine love there. I don't know if you'd want to, like, if it costed, like, say, Jaron Jackson Jr., Maybe business would be business, but I don't think he would actively say, you know what, do what you got to do to put me on it to make this a championship team. I, I don't know. If, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not in these dudes' heads, but it's interesting. But speaking of Devin Booker and the Suns, you gave me a very good transmission point there, by the way. I know there's a series that you guys wanted to talk about before we get up out of here. We're at 45, so there's a little bit of time left to do so. So y'all go ahead and go on your spiel about why the Los Angeles Clippers and the Phoenix Suns would be one hell of a series to watch. Okay, so Julio wants me to start first. Um, there's so many reasons, you know. One of them is the the Chris Paul aspect of it. You know, obviously CP3 and the Clippers, there's some history there. Mm -hmm. Rondo on the Clippers and Rondo hates CP3. Um, mm. What else? Pat, Pat Bev and Devin Booker has gotten into it before. He's gotten ejected earlier this year. Hey, um, the Rondo was game. in Phoenix before. Rondo was in Phoenix before. Rondo was in was Phoenix? He? Yeah, before the Celtics. He got drafted by the Suns, I think. Damn. Wait, really? I had no idea. But, okay, so anyways, yeah. there's that sort of, you know, personnel aspect of it. But to me, the part that's really fascinating is it feels like this series can be a kind of microcosm of the guards versus wings debate. Because... This series is what we're going to see whether you have two elite wings and Kawhi and Paul George and some really good complementary players around him, whether that works out better or whether you have two really good scoring guards or not even scoring, like with CP3 facilitating, CP3 D-Book, and you have you know a good surrounding cast around them. I think they match up pretty evenly. In terms of talent, I would say maybe Clippers have slightly better talent, but Phoenix has the sort of shot making that I think the Clippers don't quite have, even though, you know, people love Kawhi PG like that. Um, so I would I would love to see it. You know, it would probably be really dramatic, a lot of emotions, really good execution, you know, 
And it's not going to be like one of those ugly series where there's like 90-point games. It's going to be a lot of, you know, good offense and solid defense as well. And the last part is, I kind of want to throw this here, maybe because it would, you know, piss uh, Julio off. But if you took the four best players in the series, that's Kawhi PG, CP3, Devin Booker, in terms of like how skilled they are, I would rank it D-Book, Paul George, CP3, Kawhi. How skilled? Yeah. Skilled. Basketball technical skills. That's fine. I'm with that. CP3 got to be ahead of Paul George. Like, Paul George is skilled as hell, but, like, four skills. Paul George might be the most skilled out of all four of them, honestly. Like, I'll way. Like, watching the game yesterday. This is is grasping at hairs. People, I mean, the thing is, like, people hate on Paul George too much for his antics, and some of it is deserved, but in terms of basketball, like, after KD, he might be in terms of the size to skill ratio. No, like, no, no, no. Well, that's not what we're doing, though. You said just straight skill. Oh, yeah. No, straight skill. He's he's more skilled than Chris Paul. He is more of a bag than Chris Paul does. Definitely. Are we talking about a bag or skill? I mean, that that's part of it, though. Like, all of it. Finishing, dribble moves, you know, mm. running. Like, I mean, CP3 obviously better at running pick and roll. But in terms of using screens, like, Paul George is also really good at it. Like, he did some stuff in yesterday's game, like some finishes, the flexibility, you know, shot making, whatever, all that stuff was like, people hate on Paul George too much just because of, you know, one missed shot off a of backboard. I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on Paul George here, but like, if, if Chris Paul were 6'9", with the same amount of skill, ain't no way in hell he's not better than than Paul George. I'm sorry. Ain't no way in hell. Mm, I don't know. I mean, CPD's really I mean, good that's, at... I mean, that's besides the point. Okay. Get, get that... So, I don't even know where so, I want to... You yeah, go ahead, Julio. Yeah, so I, I think I have, like, maybe, like, four things to say on, on all that. So, um, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Shoot. Froze up for a minute. Um, okay, so the first thing is is PG. So, in my eyes, in order to have a enter- very, very entertaining series... You have to have either someone you're rooting super hard for or super hard against. And PG is that dude. PG, and, and to a lesser extent, uh, Patrick Beverly, because he's not that good. But it's, especially PG, that's the dude that I'm really, really rooting, rooting hard against. So that's part of the reason why I would want to see this series. The other part of the reason I want to see the, this series is because I, I know that when I see Rondo and CP, those are two dudes that look like they want to fight each other. And they, they really did, right? They, they really did when uh, Rondo was in, in LA. Face. That was and, and That was egregious. I, I know, but it, it's, it just speaks to the freaking competitive nature that's within them too. That, I mean, no, nothing beats that for me, at, at least me personally, in, in playoff basketball. The third thing, the matchups, just like what Eddie said. The matchups are insane because while... You know, you got D-Book and CP3 on this side. You have two really defensive wings to go at PG and Paul George. And it's just like kind of like a dichotomy against each other. But they're all, you know, the surrounding rosters around the All-Stars are all there. All the pieces are there. And it's like which which team is going to win. So the storylines going into this are going to be super fascinating if it does go down. And the last thing, the last point that I want to bring up that, that's most important in my mind is that something that I feel like people aren't talking about enough is that who's D-Book's favorite player? Ever. Kobe. Kobe. 
Kobe, yeah. easily. And I, I don't know if it's just me personally reading it, into it too much, but it's almost like for you, you know, it's I, I really don't know how to explain it. Like he's almost like he wants to play for Kobe whenever it comes to the Clippers because the Clippers, not that they're our rivals. Last year they kind of became our rivals, but just. I don't know. Lakerland, it's almost like I feel D-Book is a part of Lake Show. Like, he's part of the Lake Show family just because of how much he loves Kobe. And when I see it, it's that X, he puts it into an extra gear whenever he plays the Clippers. And I don't know what it is about it. To me, that, that I, I feel like that's the angle that he plays. Uh, um, his competitive, he gets his competitive edge at. Um, just, for, you know, his love for Kobe. Um, and then the last thing, uh, really quickly, is that I do consider D-Book a wing, but that's beside the point. Hmm. I want to ask you this, because I didn't get to catch the game. Defensively, what did it look like for the Clippers? How, how are they defending the, the Suns? Well, they were missing Kawhi, so that's the first part. Oh. Um, okay. See, the thing is, I would think that they might put they might match PG and Kawhi with CP3 and D-Book, but I also don't think they will, because... They're probably going to put Pat Bev on one of them. And in my estimation, they're probably going to put Kawhi on, like, Jay Crowder or something. Because Kawhi, you know, not trying to defend like that anymore. Um, and then, but the thing is, on the other end, I would say that Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder, right, if that's the, the, the defensive duo, can be just as disruptive on PG and Kawhi on, on that side of the ball, you know, as much as whatever Clippers personnel they can throw at Phoenix. So... Um, it was hard to see from yesterday's game, other than, you know, it was just really high execution on both sides. So I, I was kind of driving at the idea that, you know, if, if you did throw, like, if you said it was, because uh, I don't think Patrick Beverly starts for him, does he? Not no more. I was Does putting it over start? Reggie Jackson, but they like Reggie Wait, Jackson it, it goes Rondo, Kawhi. Paul George, Zubac, and, and who's the fifth guy? Yeah, Rondo's Mar- going to be Mar- starting. Marcus Rondo's Morris or Batum. Okay. So, if you say Rondo guard Chris Paul, and you say, what, Marcus Morris, you guard? Mikhail. Point being, I don't think that, I, I think that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard would have to hold up more of the bargain on the defensive end than Chris Paul and Devin Booker would, which might end up tiring them out throughout the series, right? If you were saying, all right, Chris Paul, you just handle the offense. We got McCall and we got Jay Crowder who's going to hold it down defensively. That's not going to have to, like, tire your ass out, right? But if you said, Paul George, you got to go get me 30 points and then you got to come back down here and hold Devin Booker too, like, that could get ill over seven games. So that's, like, the one little angle again. I didn't get to catch the game, but that could get interesting if if Kawhi and Paul George were asked to kind of take the lead on both ends of the floor. That that's uh, That'd be pretty difficult to do. Well, yeah. it, it's also because uh, an, another reason going to that, but on the flip side of it, how how they would have to carry more weight is because Lou Will isn't there anymore. And I know Lou Will this season wasn't, you know, really doing all that well, but you know, I think he I think he's just one of those players who if there's nothing to play for, he's not really gonna play. So I, I think he would have turned it up in the playoffs. So they have to carry more of an offensive burden too. So that, that that's another thing. So Julio, I was wondering, so, do you want to bring up the Rondo the Rondo stuff? Oh yeah. Contradictory. Yeah, they, they you know, obviously the the um, the sample size is not big enough, but they're they have a seventy percent win percentage when he when he when he plays. That's just 
That's what Rondo does. That's literally what Rondo does. He'll he'll call he'll call the his teammates out on their BS. Like he's not going to take anything. He he's going to tell people where they should go. He's going to something that um maybe kind of at the beginning or or a few a few years back with him and CP that kind of rubbed me the wrong way it, or maybe teammates the wrong way is that they control the ball maybe a little bit too much. But even when they do do a little bit too much they're just smart with the basketball. They're just smart basketball players. So you you just can't go wrong with, you know, Rondo on that team. And again, his scoring is just it goes up in the playoffs. His shooting percentage does his his all-around play just becomes phenomenal when there's something to play for. And a series like this, this is really really going to be something to play for. Yeah, I can't even disagree. Um, I feel like he's fooled us, or he's fooled me enough times. So, I'm willing to be proven wrong again that there is a playoff Rondo in Stowe. I, I will say, it. I don't think, and uh, th- I'm guilty of this as well. That perhaps, and I think me and you were kind of saying it, Eddie, when Rondo first got there, is like they have a tendency to kind of digress to just playing isolation ball, and where does that kind of leave Rondo? But I saw a pretty cool graphic that outlined the points per possession when the coach drew up a set and Ty Lue was like top five on that list. And now that you have a guy like Rondo, like perhaps we've been understating what this Clippers team can do when they're actually running offense versus running Kawhi, you go do something, Paul George, you go do something like there, there might be more to be unpacked there than what I previously thought in, in terms of what they're capable of offensively, which would make for a pretty interesting test match. Like M- Monty Williams knows what he's doing. Ty Lue knows what he's doing. Like there, there's a lot of angles to it. I agree with y'all. That would make a pretty interesting series. Probably the best series in the Western Conference, the way oh, things are shaping up. by far. By far. But yeah. Time can only tell, man. Time can only tell. But right now I have a draft to go watch. But uh, it's been a real cool episode. Thanks for y'all. For tuning in, as always, go follow the socials. Please, all 50 of you that will listen to this podcast, I want to see the socials get followed. At Pod on Twitter and Instagram, I want to know your faces. That came out weird. I just want to know. I, I just would be interested in knowing the type of people that listen to our podcast, honestly. Like, I have no gauge of whether it's like 12 year olds or if it's like 50 year olds who are like uh this is like the real bad like i have no clue of the type of audience that we attract to this podcast and i'd be interested in knowing maybe it's audience that doesn't have social media like maybe like the hell they talking about twitter and instagram what the fuck is that like who knows but you know i'd just be interested in knowing so if you do have a social go follow the socials thank you as always for tuning in thank you as always eddie and julio for pulling up and we will see y'all next time This has been the Hoop and Holler podcast.